The Internal Coaching Podcast is exactly that, a podcast for anyone involved in establishing, running or developing a coaching program within an organisation. We want to answer your questions and support you in developing the best coaching program within your organisation by speaking with those who have already been there. For additional resources and new episodes, check out possible.ie forward slash podcast. In this episode, Paul speaks with Kim Holmes, a change manager and internal coach based in South Africa. Kim came to coaching as part of an initial group of coaches who were trained within her organisation to expand coaching internally. Kim talks us through how she managed the boundaries between her day job as a change manager with her role as coach, how her role as coach has morphed and changed over time and how executive sponsorship and patience is key to developing internal coaching. Let's have a listen. Kim Holmes, thanks a million for joining us. It's my pleasure. Good to be here. So Kim, um, for those who haven't recognised already from the accents, uh, you're based in Johannesburg in South Africa? Yes, that's correct. Um, in Johannesburg, South Africa, and I work for a large bank, uh, retail and um, corporate and investment bank. So maybe you could start by telling us a little bit about your own background and how you came to coaching. Okay, so I joined the, the bank that I currently work with in 2005 um, and I moved over from an IT development house where I worked. So I have been in IT for the most of my career and when I um, started becoming a more senior business analyst, as a business analyst, I started mentoring um, some of the BAs that I worked with. So, and that sort of developed um, into where I started doing classes and having one-on-ones and we almost had a, a little program of mentorship for the business analysts in the organization. And the, a year after that, our uh, human, so we call it human capital in South Africa or at, in our organization as opposed to human resources. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody in our human capital division wanted to start internal coaching. And so they did a little, put out some feelers into the organization about who would be interested in coaching. And I was one of the people who put my hand up. Um, but it was based on my experience as a mentor. What was it about coaching that appealed to you? Initially, because when you start the journey or start training, you actually don't really understand it until you start doing it. So you really learn yeah. from the doing. So I think I had an internal drive to de- develop myself. Um, and to grow myself in, in what people often call soft skills in the workspace. So how could I manage myself better in meetings? Um, how could I develop better relationships with people? So it, it was probably a little bit selfish when I started. And, and that was really the reason I went into it at the time, because I didn't fully understand what I was, what I was entering and the world I was entering. And where you work at the minute then, uh, you have two roles. Uh, you've uh, your change management role and you have the role as internal coach and facilitator. But how do you manage both and how do you manage kind of boundaries between both? So I'll, I'm going to give you a little bit of history, if that's OK. So, yeah. um, so I did my coaching training, the internal training in 2010. And at the time, I was a business analyst. So I worked on projects. And it was quite easy at that point in time to do one-on-one coaching and to fit it into, you know, an hour here, an hour and a half there to fit it into my day. And, and we would, I would term that my discretionary energy. So how was I spending my discretionary energy in the workplace? And that was in coaching. But over time, um, as I got more experienced and did, the, did other types of training, I found that 
fitting it in every now and again, you know, an hour here, an hour there actually didn't yeah. work, especially when you're doing team sessions. Um, and sometimes those team sessions would be a morning or a full day, sometimes three or four days. So then I had to get very clear with uh, my managers um, and the other people that I worked with. So the people that were expecting, you know, work from me, uh, my stakeholders, I had to be very clear about when I would do the work um, and, and what my other commitments to the organization were. So nowadays I'm a change manager and I've moved into a more, so it's organizational change. So it's more people focused role. Um, so often part of what I do as an organizational change manager is facilitate change management. And I use my coaching skills to do that facilitation as well. So now it's kind of almost blended a little bit more with what I do on a daily basis, but it didn't start out that way. And do you still, do you still operate as an internal coach doing those one-to-one -one sessions? So I don't do a lot of one-to-one -one, uh, sessions okay. anymore. In 2018 and 19, I did a systemic team coaching course with Peter Hawkins mm. and John Larry Joyce. And since we uh, qualified with that diploma, I just really do teamwork nowadays. Okay. And so your current role really blends the, the coaching and the change management side? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The last three years I've been able to pull it together, but not before okay. that. Yeah, really interested about what you spoke about at the start in 2010, where you said you used your uh, discretionary energy in coaching. And I love the term, actually, um, but I think it'll resonate an awful lot with uh, people listening in and certainly people I know who uh, have trained as a coach and really can see the benefits of it from an organizational perspective, but struggle to carve out the time I suppose to do it because the expectation is still there that you know you need to deliver what you deliver on a daily basis and coaching is great but where are you going to fit it in so I am curious about that piece and you said it became a little bit more structured and you had to have a few conversations around getting it more structured I suppose Could you tell us a bit more yeah. about that so when I first started uh, coaching and, and I was doing one-on-one -on -one coaching it wasn't widely known in the organization and wasn't widely accepted, to be honest. So we always kept the coaching in our, in our coaching space that if you were coaching somebody internal, um, that, that that was a discussion that you had between yourself and the coach and it could, it could remain confidential just, just because it was very new in the organization. But the reason that uh, we wanted to bring coaching into um, our organization was and, and to have internal coaching as a function was so that coaching became accessible to everybody in the organization. Um, whereas internal coaching, where there's a high cost to it, was only available for at an executive level. Mm. So we wanted to change that. We wanted to make coaching um, available to everybody, to anybody in the organization. And to do that by using internal people, there's no charge. And so we had that model. So really as to coach early in the mornings, late afternoon, at lunch times, that sort of thing, it really was something that was over and above my day job and wasn't widely known in the organization or accepted at that time when we started. It took about three years for coaching to really settle into the organization and for us mm -hmm. to see a really uptick in demand. Can I ask about that as well then? Because it's something I hear a lot that coaching wasn't known slash understood slash accepted or there was some sort of resistance to it but it always seems to gather momentum internally like what changed do you think that made us more acceptable internally i think definitely in our organization it was executive sponsorship mm. so we had the right executive sponsorship for our human capital department group wise who believed in coaching 
Um, so I think that really made the difference because she could talk to it at an executive level, level at the boards and encourage it. But we did find that a lot of people think that you get coached in those days. They thought you got coached if they were doing something wrong. You know, so it was yeah. performance orientated. Um, so it, it really took a little while for us to, to, get the, to get the understanding across. And we had to do that by doing that coaching is not for broken people and it's not for people who aren't doing well. Um, it's to bring out the, the most amazing stuff, you know, that real yeah. potential people who are doing well anyway and yeah again the, the perception piece is something that comes up an awful lot when i'm speaking with people and, and it is that switch between the coaches there to fix rather than the coaches there to support um so i think again you know a lot of this will be resonating a lot with people coaching obviously sits as part of the human capital side uh, within your organization where is its place i suppose within the organization now the organizational aspect of the coaching and mentoring department. So we have a coaching, mentoring and mindfulness department okay. and the administration and the head sits in human capital. The internal coaches come from anywhere in the business. So for myself, I'm not in human capital. I don't work there. I work in the um, CTO area, the engineering area. Um, and really the internal coaches, whoever signs up and does the training and passes the training from whatever area in the business they're from, sales, marketing, operations, you name it. Um, so it's, it's very dispersed. For a lot of internal coaches, managing conflict between your day job and as a coach can be very tricky. How do you do that? So there's, there's a few elements of conflict that I've experienced over the years. The first is time. Um, so, so, and that I think is very common. So, I, so when do I fit it in? How do I fit it in? Um, and over Mike's, you know, over the years, that got easier as coaching became more acceptable in the organisation. But I think the one thing you need to do is be brave about talking about your coaching, that you are going to be doing coaching and this is the time you're allocating it and it really is for the good of the organisation. So, so that's the first thing is the time element. The other element that I have found difficult over the years is often I'll be in a coaching session and somebody and the coachee or the person I'm coaching will be talking about somebody that I know and work with and there'll be some sort of conflict in that relationship and they might have a very different view or very maybe not a very flattering impression of that person but I still need to go and work with that person on a daily basis um, or in in later years I would then be their coach um, or coach them in a team environment. Mm. And so putting aside that judgment, because uh, as all coaches know, when you're going to a session, you can't hold any judgment. You have to be open, curious, receptive. So, so that was definitely something that I had to work on myself is to make sure that I, um, that I never took any impression out of any person coming out of a coaching session and that I maintained neutral. Um, and one of the ways that I also did that was to make the confidentiality aspect of our contracting and coaching almost like extreme confidentiality um, and that my coaches knew that. So when a coaching session was over, whatever came up in that session stayed in that room for me and the, and the coach. The one other aspect that I wanted to chat about was when you do team coaching and you have a systemic nature to it, so you, you, you're coaching a team within a system or multiple systems, yeah. you have to remember that you're also part of that system. And that it's quite difficult taking yourself out of that system as an internal coach and not having a view on any of the detail or the way business should be run or getting into solution mode with the rest of the people that you're coaching. 
So that's also um, something that I found quite difficult over time. Um, and I think that's easier for external coaches than for internal coaches. I was going to ask, because it is, it is an obvious thing that if you're not part of an organization, you know, knowing other people and uh, conflicts and uh, being part of the system, they're, they're just not issues as an external coach. Uh, I think they can be if, if you coach in one organization too much or too broadly. How do you separate that? It's really something that I've had to work on uh, myself. So that's been my personal development around non-judgment, Re- really literally non-judgment. And one person's opinion is their opinion. It's not mine. Do you think that's a barrier uh, initially anyway to being an internal coach that people may may hide things from you because they know you know a certain person or do, do you think those issues come up I, certainly at the start I, yes i think i think in the beginning that was one as part of the resistance to having internal coaches in the organization was um so often people would say but the stuff i talk about sensitive i can't be telling somebody yeah. who's in the organization what's going on in my department um and it really was a few years of us building our, our reputation as, as good coaches, in, entirely confidential um, and supportive um, that we had to. So it probably took three or four years for us to manage that resistance in the organization. And I guess that's done as a pool of internal coaches, not just any one coach. So everyone needs to be singing off the same hymn sheet nearly. In terms of coaching um, within the organization, uh, it sounds like it, it really is an integral part now I suppose, how did that come about? What benefits did the organization see? How did the organization measure the success of, of internal coaching? So, so initially it was quite hard and the people that we worked with were people who already believed in the coaching process or had had coaching themselves. And as I mentioned earlier, it took about three years really for us to see an uptick in demand. So, so one of the measures that we use is demand, is the demand for, of coaching. Mm. And we've got to a point in our organization where we have internal coaches on our training programs. Um, so we run numerous internal programs at different levels in the organization. And we have coaches that are the golden thread through many of those programs and that pick up coaching duties as part of the program. And we, that probably really started kicking off, I'd say, in 2006, 2007. And I think once coaching became almost mainstream as part of training, um, that made one of the big differences in, in how it was accepted in the organization and, so it, and increased the demand even more. So then it became exponential. Sure. Um, other measurements is what we do is we, we try to always get feedback after a session. So we have a um, real-time feedback um, tool in the organization. And at the end of any session that any of us do, we would pop on there um, as an agreement among all the coaches um, to go and get feedback for that particular session. So it helps for for two things. You understand how your coaching is being received in the organization, what you can do better and how you can develop it. But it also gives you some metrics about how it is um, changing the lives of the people that are being coached. So then we can take that kind of qualitative information to our boards and do reporting on it. So we would report on numbers and comments. And we'd also sometimes, depending on the type, the nature of the coaching relationship, we would sometimes ask managers if they'd seen any difference. Thinking of the the system, I suppose, in a wider context, um, I'm curious around how coaching is perceived uh, within the South African market, actually. Is it, you know, is it something that's... um, uh, widely sought after? Is it developing? Is it? Yeah, so 
definitely developing. There's more and more coaches, more and more coaching programs that are available. So when I think when we started in 2000 and, or looking at it in 2008 to 2010, there wasn't that much available. So I'd say that there really has been an uptick in training programs, people mm. wanting to be coached over a period of time. I think it's still seen as a luxury for many people. Um, you know, we working in a corporate, we're extremely fortunate when it comes to training and, and the kind of support sure. that you get. So often I find if I chat to an individual outside of work or they ask for coaching, they, there's a little bit of price resistance um, around that. Yeah, yeah. When it comes out of your own pocket. Yeah. It can be so similar in, in Ireland and probably a little bit more mature in terms of a market, but it's, it's interesting to get the perspective. One final question then, Kim. What is the one piece of advice you give to someone who's looking to set up or refine an internal coaching program? I think having somebody who either a strong leader or an executive sponsor who can, who can talk to the coach and who's experienced it and can support it in conversations when they aren't about coaching. So every now and again, I think in many organizations, you might get a snide remark or somebody saying, oh, that person's under coaching. So that sponsor or that person that heads up, that talks to the coaching and defends it and promotes it strongly is very important. And the other thing is maintaining internal standards and a community. Mm. So those are the two things that I would, I would suggest. Kim Holmes, thanks a million for your time. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Great. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you would like to be a guest, have any comments or are curious about any topics in particular, get in touch with us on podcast at possible.ie.